Nick, 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 Welcome to When We Were Young, the pop culture podcast that is slowly regressing Benjamin Button style with each and every episode. I'm Becky, the podcast host most likely to head home to have myself a juice, snuggle with my blankie, and go nap-nap. I'm Chris, the podcast host most likely to eat his sugared cereal that makes his teeth bacterial. (laughs) You can smell them from here. And I'm Seth Pearson, the host most likely to whiz on the electric fence. This week, we're headed back to the year 1991 with the premiere of Nickelodeon's Nicktoons and the debut of three of their most memorable series, Doug, Rugrats, and Ren and Stimpy. All three shows debuted back-to-back on Nickelodeon on August 11th, 1991, and though they were very different types of shows, very, very different, they all had unprecedented levels of success and are arguably Nickelodeon's most popular cartoons of all time. We've talked about a lot of things on this podcast from our childhood, but I feel like it's weird that we haven't brought up Nickelodeon yet. So this is our first Nickelodeon podcast. I'm sure we might get to snick someday. We're going to have to go on the big orange couch. <laughs> I'll at least rent like an orange couch liner so we can really complete the experience. I always wanted that orange couch. Me too. <laughs> I found it tacky. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't get to sit on it, Chris. And I think it's funny we haven't talked about it because, I mean, I think most people might agree that Nickelodeon kind of peaked in the 90s when we were growing up, um, as far as, like, being in the zeitgeist, I think. You could even say when we were young. Yeah. I didn't, though. <laughs> <laughs> she was avoiding it, Chris. Yeah. Wow. Sorry. So my question for the episode is, did you watch Nickelodeon um, growing up? If so, what age did you stop watching Nickelodeon? I was Nickelodeon growing <laughs> up. It was less watching than just having it epitomize my childhood. Like, again, it's it's... I think it's natural that we've done lots of episodes about and related to Disney. But to me, Nickelodeon defines that kind of stage of my life between when I was like a little bit too old for Sesame Street up to the age when I kind of got into anime and just kind of stopped watching most of my shows on like on Nickelodeon and on Disney Channel altogether. I started watching Nickelodeon probably in like 91 and 92. I would always watch Saturday morning cartoons like even in my preschool age, but when I watched Nickelodeon was really when I kind of was like way before when I was a preteen or an adolescent or any of that, but during one of those kind of formative stages of your life where you're starting to understand who you are where you're going through school, like, of course, I was in elementary school during this time, and I gravitated toward these Nicktoons in particular because, in so many ways, they were about kind of the experiences that I was going through at the time, and they had characters I found very relatable. So, yeah, this this episode was kind of like a big, warm blanket <laughs> for me, <laughs> because I kind of stopped watching Nickelodeon altogether around kind of after the SNCC era, you know, so that would have been later than this, around adolescence, basically. Like, by the time I was a teenager, I kind of just drifted away from watching this stuff. And I know, like, I saw, like, the Rugrats movie. It's I know there was a movie at some point, and I saw there that. There are many movies. <laughs> oh, are there? Well, there were... 
I think, two theatrical ones. The first one was actually a huge hit. I think it was, like, from 1998. So it was actually, like, much later than you might think. Yeah, so Um, I definitely remember seeing that in the theater. And I feel like that was kind of, like, a good capstone on the end of the Nickelodeon era for me. You know, and by the point that I was, like, drifting away from Nickelodeon, I was getting into, like, anime and also just getting more into, like, feature films, um, and less so that kind of stuff. I watch these shows. I suppose all, I was all three of them? To differing degrees. <laughs> I, I have seen all three of them. Okay. I suppose I was around nine or ten. My memories of them are a bit vague. I know that the shows were on. <laughs> <laughs> Nickelodeon kind of felt like the channel that a babysitter would put on, or like when my mom would drop me off at like someone else's mom's house to be watched for a few hours and I was there with like younger kids usually like I feel like I was maybe on like the older side so in looking back for this podcast like I was kind of re-surprised at how big of a scope Nickelodeon has because the first thing you think of might be these cartoons or maybe the live action shows like Clarissa Explains It All or Hey Dude Mm -hmm. or um, Pete and Pete or those kinds of things. But I mean, it was a whole channel, so obviously they had a lot of different programming. But I remember it, even with things that were not produced by Nickelodeon, but were re-aired there, like David the Gnome. Eureka's oh, Castle. Yeah. Eureka's Castle. Oh, yeah. um, and I had forgotten Mr. That, Wizard. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of Wizard-related things. I had forgotten that this is where I saw, probably where I mostly watched, like, Inspector Gadget, Muppet Babies. Oh, yes, um, absolutely. The old, like, Dennis the Menace, Lassie and Flipper. Like, those were all airing on this channel. Sharon, Lois, and Bram. Yes. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Yas. <laughs> yas, Sharon, Lois, and Bram. <laughs> I can't even get their name right. I did go back and watch myself some Skinnamarinky Dinky Dink. Skinnamarinky do. God. <laughs> it's like, I know what these things are, and I'm so happy to hear them, but I don't know what they are. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? The same Would you time. like me to show you? Yes, please. <laughs> Chris, please don't sit on the couch if you're going to whip out your skinnamarinka-dinka-dink. <laughs> Skinnamarinka-do. Skinnamarinka-don't. Oh my god. I think it's so funny that you were in New Orleans, you were in Seattle, and I was on Long Island, but we like all shared this. this we thing. all skin a murky dinky dinked. <laughs> and we all skin a murky dude. <laughs> and we loved it. <laughs> yeah, so I mean there was just like all kinds of programming, which some of which was produced by Nickelodeon, some of which like, I think this was actually produced in the 80s, but then would just re-air. A lot of it was aimed at younger kids, and they have, like, Nick Jr. Like, Nick has a lot of, like, offshoots that are some for adults, some for kids, some for really little kids. The breadth of the content that Nickelodeon was putting, like, the there are so many different kinds of shows that they had, and I really do look forward to, like, doing other Nickelodeon-related episodes. I mean, obviously, we're going to focus on these tunes this time, but I watched all of their live-action shows, too, like... And I'd watch the, like, super early ones I like, when they did, like, Mr. Wizard. And mm-hmm. um, did they air Sherry Lewis and Lamb Chop, too? I think that was PBS. I, uh, I think that may have been PBS. But, like, it would be kind of, like, the early morning rotation, too. Mm-hmm. 
Nickelodeon as a thing both feels like I know so much, so many of the shows. Like, well, I looked at like a list of the shows that were running and I knew almost all of them, or at least they like kind of slightly like rang a bell. Mm-hmm. I also did not remember how many game shows they had. They had a ton so of many game, game shows. shows. I was thinking like, I know like you can't do that on television and then maybe like Double Dare, but there were like five You can't, of of you can't do that on television wasn't a game show. It was there a was a sketch show. show. It was a variety sketch oh, show. Oh, it was? Yeah. And Alanis was I just on. thought you when you lost, you get things dumped on No, that's on when you head. say, I don't know. Oh. That's just when you say, I, I don't thought know. That, but I thought it was that like was a quiz. The, start, nope. the slime was just a part of that variety show kind of skit thing. Yeah. Yeah, but, like, game show-wise, like, I remember Legends of the Hidden Temple, I remember Nickelodeon Guts, I remember Double Dare, I remember... Wild and Crazy Kids. Wild and Crazy Guys, you're, Kids. you're going right into my... my I'm seriously. But, anyway, the, the point I guess I was trying to make by, like, mentioning all these things is just, like, some of it was for me and some of it was not. But, in general, like, it just was kind of all there for me. Like, mm-hmm. it was on. <laughs> And I didn't have super fond memories of anything in particular, like as much of a big part of my childhood as it was. And I know like I watched these things for like many years in aggregate, but like there wasn't necessarily like one thing that stood out. It was mostly kind of like the overall brand that seemed like a thing. Well, yeah, because it was for kids and there wasn't many things for kids back then. I love Nickelodeon. <laughs> I Present loved tense? it. Loved oh, it. Okay. I don't watch it. Okay. I don't have cable. <laughs> I heard. I heard present tense. Yeah. But okay. Well, I guess I'm still very fond of the memories I have because I'm squealing over these things. <laughs> I mean, I could just list the shows that I watched. Just all of them. Hey, dude, Clarissa. I was definitely there for Doug and Rugrats. Loved all of those game shows. I wanted to be on Guts so bad. I wanted to be on Double Dare, but I didn't like gross things when I was little. So I was like, how could I run the the <laughs> final <laughs> obstacle course, but but skip the ones that are like gross, where you don't have to like swim and stuff? <laughs> you and Mark Summers have that in common. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> but I always wanted to be on Double Dare. But me I was too. like, my family would never do me this too. with me. Did you watch What Would You Do? Yes. What 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 Would You, you Do? <laughs> yes. What? Mm. Ba- na- 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 what would you do? I always, always, always <laughs> wanted to go to Nickelodeon Studios in Florida, in Orlando. Yes, I did. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> God damn you. You get the fuck out of summers here. were like this. <laughs> what did you see? I don't know. Why like, am I just learning I about think this? Double Dare. Or what, something by Mark Summers. Does it was he... probably what would you do at the time. Okay, maybe. Maybe. I don't, I don't know. know. I loved <laughs> Snick. I was all about Roundhouse and all that. Alex Mack. And then we didn't mention it, but Nick at Night. Yeah, I meant to go into that as well. So you asked us when we stopped watching. Mm -hmm. And like Seth, I think it was a couple years into these Nicktoons that we're talking about. But I continued watching Nickelodeon with Nick at Night afterwards. And that was really my introduction to classic TV. I'm a big I Love Lucy fan. I'm sure maybe we'll do a Nick at Night episode. I would love to. I think that would be great. It would just be old TV. (laughs) It would be, but it was also like, it was kind of the perfect time in my life to see old shows like that, especially I Love Lucy. Like, 
Wait, did you watch Nick at Night while you were watching regular Nickelodeon? No, I think I kind of like ended daytime Nickelodeon and went to Nick at Night because I was watching it during. Like hmm. I was watching when they yeah, had Green too. Acres, Donna Reed, like yes. Dobie Gillis, Dobie like, fucking oh Gillis. Oh, yeah. <laughs> See, I no, I didn't watch those. I remember seeing them on commercials, but I was a. Uh, Mary Mondays, Lucy Tuesdays, Genie oh, yes. Friday, Genie Wednesdays, Bow Wednesdays. Yeah, I don't. I think Friday is like kind of rotated or something. Oh, I would watch My Three Sons. Like, how do I? Yes, like, what, My Three Sons. What was wrong with me that I was watching this much television as a <laughs> right. child? Yeah, that was one of the other thoughts I had revisiting the shows. Was kind of recognizing how much fucking TV I was watching at this point. Like, it wasn't like I was just watching, like, The Simpsons and Doug. I was literally watching My Three Sons and Donna fucking mainlining that stuff constantly. (laughs) Mr. Ed, like, constantly. That's what's interesting about the schedule is that it started off with, like, sort of the kind of silly old, like, 50s shows, like Dennis the Menace Flipper. I think that's, like, 60s, too. And then we go into these, like, cartoons. And so, like, my memory is that I watched a bunch of different things, but I kind of realized, looking at Nickelodeon's schedule, that it was all just this one channel. Mm-hmm. Like, they feel like very different things, because they all came from different sources, and some were older, some were new, and some were produced by Nickelodeon, but they were all actually just on the same channel. Yeah. Well, let's learn about Nickelodeon. Aren't you glad you got your Nickelodeon? Aren't you glad you got your Nickelodeon? You watch your Nick. Aren't you glad you got your Nickelodeon? You watch your Nick. Nickelodeon was born. <laughs> November 16th. Close. What is a Nickelodeon? Well, I'll get to that. Um, the network Pinwheel was launched on December 1st, 1977 as the first cable channel for children. What? Pinwheel was relaunched as Nickelodeon on April 1st, 1979. I you have no idea. You weren't born yet. It's okay. I have no idea. <laughs> it was initially commercial free and remains without advertising until 1984. The name Nickelodeon comes from the first type of movie theaters in the early 20th century that cost a nickel to get in. Back in my day. <laughs> um, so the Canadian show You Can't Do That on Television was Nickelodeon's first hit. Uh, the green slime, as we discussed, uh, that was featured on the show became one of the channel's most iconic images and was featured as a major part of other shows like Double Dare and at the Kids' Choice Award every year. I think somebody slimed. Always, yeah. After firing its management staff um, in the early 90s, MTV Network's president, Bob Pittman, wanted to reinvigorate the network and it led to what many people believe to be the channel's golden age. They introduced a new logo, the orange splat logo that you may be very familiar with, and worked with the doo-wop group The Jive Five to make various interstitials and bumpers during commercials. So many interstitials. Oh my god. The second I heard these bumper songs, or whatever you call it, interstitial music, I was just like filled with joy and I was like, I could do this for six hours Seriously, I I knew all of these. I love these bumpers so much. I really do. The, watching, we were watching a, like a six minute compilation on YouTube of all these interstitial pieces. And Was it only six? Right? <laughs> it feels like a kind of time warp um, because there were so many little details in the animation. And so many little musical flourishes that this doo-wop group was singing that I didn't remember that I remembered. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, and yeah. the moment I see them or hear them, they come back to me. Yeah. 
I I love them. They made me so happy. And it's funny how much Nickelodeon is just not in my life right now. I know that I'm like in my mid thirties, but like Disney is still like I see Disney movies, right. you know. Um, but Nickelodeon really isn't. But looking at this, like those commercials, like for the network, and it brings me so much joy that it was just I just remembered how much it meant to me. Do you know what I mean? At the mm-hmm. time. I think that watching those commercials reminded me, again, like how much Nickelodeon, the brand, is maybe as important or more important than any of the actual content that they produce. I mean, we'll get into the shows, obviously. But like those like weird commercial characters are as memorable as like the characters from the shows that we watch. It's like, I don't know, it all becomes part of the same thing. And it's just like a weird world that they created that goes beyond just like any show or anything. But it's like their entire like network was a brand in a way and not not in the way that like a Disney channel is. But yeah, all these like weird flourishes that like other interstitials for other channels and stuff aren't memorable. Really, We're going to have to post these because like the interstitial pieces themselves, each of them will incorporate like sometimes four or five different styles of animation, like really wildly different styles within the same like 15, 20 second piece. Um, It's it's really impressive, especially in retrospect to like look back and see how much effort they were putting into things that had nothing to do with their actual shows, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, I think what's interesting is that their main competition was probably the Disney Channel, but Disney has a very specific look. like the In look, a uniform one. Very uniform, whereas Nickelodeon is a network with many different types of styles. So they could, you know, be one thing one way. Like, they they could have that experimentation because... Besides just like the Nickelodeon logo, like you could do anything with that. You could you could present it in many different ways. And it was also kind of the opposite is that Disney was already a brand and then they made itself into a channel, whereas this was a channel that made itself into a brand. So until 1991, the animated series that aired on Nickelodeon were largely imported from foreign countries. I think we talked about, like, David the Gnome. <laughs> I really did not like David the Gnome, but I, I watched didn't either. a lot of it. I think I, I also had, like, grim, grim fairy tales that, fairy like, tales. that felt very anime. Like, the, mouth, the mouths didn't they really... Were, it was, like, five frames a second animation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember yeah. being like, that's not how Snow, Snow White ends. <laughs> <laughs> this is not canon. <laughs> Baby Becky was comic book guy. <laughs> So Nickelodeon wanted to find creative auteurs for their content and began a search for animators to develop original series. This was very unusual at the time because a lot of the animated series that aired during this time were already known properties like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or like Garfield or something. The idea of something being an original cartoon was very new. So the very first Nicktoon that did debut on that night was Doug. So let's learn about Doug. Na 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 na
Doug was created by Jim Jenkins. It has the voice cast of Billy West as Doug and Roger. Um, you may also, uh, well, he's he's Stimpy, basically. <laughs> he's and he's in also everything. Ren. He's in everything. He's, he's Fry in, on Futurama. Yeah, Futurama. Like, he's, yeah. He is the Nickelodeon. <laughs> yeah. He's Nick Elodian. Yeah. <laughs> Nick, Nick Elodian. He's Irish, right? Nick. <laughs> Fred Newman voiced Skeeter, Porkchop, and Mr. Dink. He also wrote the musical score for the show. Constance Shulman is Patty Mayonnaise, and you might know her recently as Yoga Jones on Orange is the New Black. So if you've been watching Orange is the New Black and you're like, why do I know that woman's voice very well? She was Patty Mayonnaise. She's got a thing for Orange. (laughs) I guess so. (laughs) (laughs) Don't we all? The plot of Doug, the show focuses on the early adolescent life of its title character, Doug Funny, who goes through common coming-of-age experiences after moving to the suburb of Bluffington. The series covers topics like friendship, relationships, crushes, bullies, rumors, and self-esteem. The show ran from 1991 to 1994 for four seasons and 52 episodes. In 1996, Disney acquired the series and changed it to Brand Spanking New Doug, and then they retitled it Disney's Doug in 1998. Doug was largely inspired by Jenkins' childhood growing up in Virginia. He said that the character's odd coloring choices came out of him being in a margarita stupor while developing their designs (laughs) at a Mexican restaurant. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) He first pitched Doug as a children's book before Nickelodeon purchased the show. Jenkins really wanted Doug to remain relevant in 30 years and have this timeless quality about the show. So he he also wanted there to always be some sort of moral and lesson. So he asked writers to write the central theme at the top of each script so that they would remain very focused on Doug learning something in each episode. Doug also had a first movie, Doug's first movie. It was released in 1999. It made 19 million and it received a 26% on Rotten Tomatoes. So I Doug's worst movie. <laughs> I haven't seen it, so I don't know in what either. ways it was a drop off in quality. I but... skipped that one. So I did some research on Brand Spankin' New Doug. Okay. And there's lots of discussion on the internet about how Disney ruined Doug. Why did they how? So the voice changed, which isn't necessarily Disney's fault, but they gave Patty Mayonnaise a different haircut. (gasps) No! And they made it, um, so it was like a... Was it a Rachel cut? (laughs) (laughs) It was a beehive. (laughs) And they made it, instead of like two 12-minute episodes per half hour, it was like one long thing. Hmm. And they changed the theme song. But was it still like, dude, like, was it still like scatting kind of? We'll play it right now. (laughs) because now we have to (laughs) it is far inferior oh no and it feels like the child version of switching Aunt Viv oh no (gasps) just play it it already feels like a betrayal <laughs> if only they had taken the music out and left like the voice, you know what I mean? So it could have been a different theme but still like the same thing that people liked. I'm just curious, how much spanking was in this version? <laughs> um apparently a lot. It was brand spanking new. No. Ugh. So, I mean, I think that theme song says everything is that they definitely ruined it and so the movie <laughs> oh, yeah. was made in the Disney era. Mm. So it is not beloved. Mm. No, no, no. And it was Doug's last movie as well. So, <laughs> yeah. so what did you guys think about rewatching Doug as adults? 
Well, my answer to this is to reflect back on what it meant to me as a kid, because that's the thing that I've only recognized in retrospect now that I've revisited it. Doug was really helpful to me, not just entertaining, it wasn't just like sweet and heartfelt, but it was really helpful to me. Chris, you shared with us a Huffington Post article about why these classic Nicktoons are so beloved, and it kind of sums me and my love for this show up perfectly. For a generation of young creatives, there was Doug, an 11-year-old who holed away in his room, playing his banjo, listening to music, and telling stories in his journal. One, two, three, four, hanging on a trash can, drumming on a street Again, I say like these shows kind of found me at the perfect time in my life because I, as I've said before in the show many times, was an indoor kid. And there were things about being a kind of introspective person that were frowned upon and kind of discouraged by lots of people in my life. And also, I think, by a lot of kind of pop culture that encourages everyone to be super outgoing all the time and all of that stuff. All of these shows, but like especially Doug, did kind of successfully teach me lessons about friendship and about relationships and about being fair and good to the people you care about in your life and the challenges of going to school and learning to either fit in or chart your own path. And I got a lot from a lot of these shows, but like, especially Doug was maybe not as overtly funny and hilarious or whatever as the other shows, but I also don't think it was intended to be just a pure comedy like you said becky like it very much they they had a point and they knew they were trying to make a point but much like sesame street and mr rogers like this is kind of one of those shows that especially re-watching these episodes now i learned that it really did mean a lot to me and and helped me learn the skills to have a good life and good friendships so it was po- a positive experience. It was a, them. <laughs> like it was just a like pure delight of an experience to rewatch all of these cartoons. I found like various things like funnier or more interesting about one show or the other, but especially Doug just made me made me have good and, and kind of grateful like sentiments about the people who made it. Uh oh. <laughs> oh no. Oh no. I think it's very interesting that we're doing this so soon after we just revisited the Disney movies. Because as we talked about with those, we were transported back to a certain time in childhood that brought up a lot of emotions, very warm and fuzzy emotions mostly. For these Nickelodeon shows, the Nicktoons, I mean, I remember the characters, I remember like the look of them, I remembered all of their names, like the same as Disney. I remembered a lot of the music because all of these shows mm-hmm. have very memorable music in one way or another. And I look back at these things with like a mild fondness, like, oh, those were there <laughs> when I was a child. Um, and I did not dislike them. <laughs> Chris's spinoff show is going to be called A Mild Fondness. But watching these shows was a very different experience for me than anything else that I think that we've covered on the podcast. Even things that I haven't enjoyed, I felt like 
were worth discussing because they occupied some kind of space in pop culture. And I felt like these shows were a bit like you had to be there shows. I don't know if they have any meaning for like our parents who would probably put them on and then leave the room and go do chores or something. They feel a bit like babysitting shows where you kind of put them on and the kids are entertained, but like that's it like that's kind of the purpose of them is to kind of distract kids i just i'm not sure that they would have any meaning to anyone who wasn't a very specific age when watching them which doesn't mean that it's not interesting to talk about us having those experiences at that age but i just found them very much specifically speaking to a time that i experienced and not really like reaching outside of that and reaching a deeper like resonance with anything else that was happening at the time or now as an adult going back to it like i don't really feel like Doug, since we're talking about Doug first, really like had that much for me as an adult. Okay, so I'm not going to talk about all three like a blend. I had very different experiences watching all three. I did too, three. so yeah. <laughs> like, very <laughs> different experiences, so I can't sum it all up in one thought. So what I thought about Doug was that I thought it was pleasant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was very yeah. nice. Yeah, it's like, very nice. It's very like leave it to beaverish. Yeah, it you know? felt like the Wonder Years-ish kind Totally. Of. I think that's an even better I, I liked that it wasn't Doug having to go on all these crazy adventures. Like, it was like the adventure of going to school and, uh-oh, I'm embarrassed for this reason, or I like this girl. Like, I really do like that in a cartoon for that age demographic. You know, like, I watched it religiously growing up. Like, it really obviously meant something to me at that time to, to see characters go through these issues. I felt like I couldn't really escape the nostalgia. Yeah. I just was like, I don't know if I would like this at all unless I had the experience of watching it because it was pleasant watching it knowing like, oh, the beat song. Like, oh, I know the song. Like, think big. Like, like one, what, what does he say? Like, one, one little voice. One little voice. <laughs> like, all the music. Like, I was like, oh, yeah. Like, I was singing along the theme song. Like, it was really pleasant to watch, but I'm not running out and going and buying Doug on DVD. You know, it just felt mm. like that was nice back when I watched it, and it doesn't really have a place for me now as an adult, but it's nice enough that, like, if my kid, it's if it's rerunning on Nickelodeon, my kid wants to watch it. Like I won't have a problem. But you also w- would you like be like you gotta watch no, Doug? No, yeah. I wouldn't. But I wouldn't turn it off. You know, but I wouldn't put it on. <laughs> it was fine. Okay, so this is so <laughs> fascinating to me because Chris, I have a hard time like disagreeing with your approach to it and your reaction to it. Then don't. Thank you. Um, I'll, <laughs> I'll try not to. It'll be difficult. You know me. Mm. Um, but I think at least a part of this difference, like in the kind of Disney versus Nickelodeon sense of things that have stuck with us over time and things that we would kind of want to introduce to our kids now, you know, all of my secret kids that are out there. <laughs> There's no Nickelodeon vault. There is no massive concerted marketing <laughs> on a constant basis that we've been subjected to since we were kids, but since especially when we were young. Since when we were young. Twice. Um, <laughs> in one episode, come on. <laughs> the approaches of trying to keep these things current and regurgitate and reprocess and resell back to us the nostalgia franchises of things like Doug and Rugrats don't exist in the way that all of those Disney franchises do. And I think that's another kind of comparison point that I never would have thought about before we 
did a podcast like this. Chris, like, I totally understand if it didn't hit you at the time that you were that perfect age for it to hit you. I think Nickelodeon is a thing that would be kind of frozen in amber. But I also wonder if it had had, like, the multi-billion dollar marketing budget of of Viacom, like the company that owned it, they obviously had a very different strategy to try to like get those shows across to people and to sell them. And they've taken a very different approach to the old stuff. Only two of these three shows were even available on streaming sites now. Doug and Rugrats are available on Hulu, but Ren and Stimpy is not really available anywhere, seemingly. Which is weird. Which is, we'll get to the (laughs) potential reasons why. But I do just think that there's a difference kind of collectively, culturally, in the approaches to those companies, like the the kind of business models of those companies, that does make it a lot less likely that these Nicktoons would be kind of passed along in the way that Disney things are. So we all watched a bunch of episodes of Doug. Um, one of them was the pilot episode, uh, Doug Bags and Nematode. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, the opening song is so good. Oh, okay. I thought you were going. Come on, harmonize. I should never talk about music again. Chris is so resistant to harmony, but we're going to get him eventually. Yes. You're going to hear us do three part harmonies on When We Were Young. I swear it. I loved it. It's great. It reminded me of Seinfeld. Yes, it is that indelible. Yeah, I mean, it was, I guess, slightly after Seinfeld. But yeah, it's all kind of voice noises, like even the score of the show. There's a lot of like really memorable, like little music cues that I still remembered, which goes with the theme of like mostly the music of these shows being more memorable than a lot of the content. But I also found like I could have told you pretty much all of these characters first names, most of their last names, Mm -hmm. what they looked like, what they were wearing, (laughs) Um, (laughs) what color they were. Yeah. <laughs> well, and the what they were wearing part is fun, too, because they kind of poke fun at the cartoon convention that every character wears the same outfit all the time, where they have, like, literal closets full of the same one outfit. Oh, talking about the music when Doug's sister comes on and she has the do-do-do-do, do-do-do-do. Oh, yeah. do do Yeah, I did want to, like, point out that this show has, like, really good character design. Like, I really love the sort of, like, overall ideas of the characters. They have great names, and they just, like, look very distinctive. I I really like the way that they were all kind of conceived and designed. Patty Maynard is weirdly hot. (laughs) And also, like, very, like, very memorable. Like, I don't know, like, her voice, like, even before, like, She's kind of a southerner. She's got a southern, like, Carolina thing. Yeah, she's... She's very distinct. Yeah, that's true. She's a brassy dame. I feel like <laughs> and she an is like dame. the Julia Roberts of the 10-year-old <laughs> set. Like, she's just like... She doesn't have quite as uh, spectacular a smile <laughs> as a character, character. She's not as toothy. <laughs> so, for one, like, the pilot has the whole, like, love at first sight trope, which is annoying. Oh, because I was, that was my note for that, is that I don't think it's Doug the Show's faults but that was just a thing that was just like all the time it's like oh look at that girl i'm in love with her right yeah it was the same as like 10 things i hate about you or like a million things that we've seen it's like you didn't even speak to her like (laughs) you don't know what her personality is you just looked at her and that's supposed to drive like 
four years of obsession. <laughs> yeah. Um, I hope that that trope has been, like, is, like, done. At least have an interaction. So you're like, oh, this person and I get along really well. Yeah, like, there's, like, not even a meet-cute. Yeah. <laughs> and he is devoted. He sees her through a window. <laughs> They're not even in the same room. He's just like, who's that? Hard eyes. Yes. The only, like, to the show's credit, Patty Mayonnaise justifies that crush. (laughs) But that's by happenstance. (laughs) Because she could be awful. (laughs) I think there was another important question I got from this, which is, what the hell is a nematode? It's just a made-up creature. Oh, no, it's real. (gasps) I looked up nematodes. (laughs) Chris, see, you guys, Chris does his research, does. and that's what we appreciate. It's not spelled like this. I, I, I looked it up with this spelling, because I was like, I remember the name nematode as, mm-hmm. like, a thing. I googled it, and all that came up was Doug, and I was like, oh, I don't think Doug made up nematodes. It's a totally different spelling. I think it's, like, a cellular thing. I'm not going to look it up again for you guys. <laughs> it's a very small you. organism of some kind. Oh. It's a real thing, but it is not a toad, oh. nor nor a thing that you could catch in Bluffington. <laughs> a, a mythological forest lizard, <laughs> I think. Yeah. Which reminds me of uh, Roger. The bully. With the green face. Very also memorable, and it kind of disturbs Absolutely. me that it's the same voice, because... I just, like, imagine... Because Doug and Roger have so many scenes together that I am disturbed thinking of the same person just kind of doing a Jekyll and Hyde Really? Thing. That happens a lot in cartoons, like on The Simpsons? It or- happens a lot, but they are, like, such different characters. And in, 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 in a lot of ways, the show, especially, like, revisiting it now, is a kind of, like, Doug versus Roger. Like, he is the antagonist of this whole series and of Doug's life. They're together so often. Again, like, I I think the music really stuck out to me and the voice acting of all of these shows really, really stuck out to me as being just at a really high level. Literally, in Skeeter's case. (laughs) (laughs) Skeeter's the one character who kind of um, annoyed me a little bit, or just, like, I didn't really love the voice performance or the character this time around. Oh, I was going to say Mr. Dink kind of got on my nerves. Mr. Dink was crazy. Uh, I loved him so much, though. You you know what I found out through some research is that his last name stands for dual income, no kids. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) Do you like to Google Dink in your spare time, Becky? It just came up. It just came up. (laughs) But he was the only one that kind of got on my nerves. He was a little bit like cartoony, Mm -hmm. which Skeeter is a little bit like that, too. Yeah. But I like, um, I, I really like Doug's sister. And her little, like... She's funny, my, yeah. My husband was watching some of this with me, and he's like, this was in the 90s, why is she... Bohemian, bo- like, uh, like yeah. yeah. Coffee shop And I was like, because hipster. of coffee shops in the 90s. Yeah, like, yeah I always love that character. Go on a fast. Fasting is so spiritual. It cleanses the body and the soul. Or if that doesn't work, we could always send Porky to do fat farm. Can it, Judy? I think the show does a better job than The Simpsons of presenting people of different races because we don't actually know what people's races are. Like, you look at Patty and she's sort of like very dark orange and you're like, she could be a different race. Skeeter is blue and there's been like speculation that, you know, maybe he's like a different race, but you don't actually know because they're all like crazy colors. But Doug is clearly Caucasian. He is which clearly he's, Caucasian. He's the one we're supposed to relate to because we are a white audience, you know? Yeah, what did you guys think of the character of Doug? Because I was a little surprised at kind of just how 
average and basic he was going back to well, it. Well, that's kind of the point. Yeah. Well, it is kind of the point that he's basic, but in addition to being a very indoor kid, there are ways in which he seems kind of, not to use a clinical term, but like on the spectrum, like <laughs> maybe a little bit on the spectrum. And and mm. I've I personally related to that in a lot of ways. Wow. I, and I didn't think about that at all. I don't know if he... It's an exaggeration of being insecure. Not just insecure, but like uh, an introvert. Mm -hmm. Like introverted. You mean, is it because of all his fantasies he has? So it's kind of like he lives in kind of a fantasy world? No, not just that, but like just a kind of basic not relating to the world in the exact same way that everyone else does. Maybe this was stuff that, again, because I saw it when it was coming out and it connected with me at the right time, that these were things I was kind of projecting onto the character of Doug as much as anything else. Um, But like he's kind of a loner who like writes in his journal, who plays his banjo. I think it has levels but levels that are not in ways that other characters are typically layered, especially not in cartoon series. I just liked that, and I don't know, I'm just thinking here about what was on that at that time, but it's nice to see a young boy in touch with his feelings versus some sort of, like, jockey little man, <laughs> like, presenting all these masculine traits when Doug is the one writing in his journal and writing songs and living in this little dream world and, like, you know, fantasizing, um, which a lot of that is seen as, like, feminine traits. Mm-hmm. But a lot of boys are like that. But in shows, they're taught to not be like that because that's not masculine. So I liked that Doug was just kind of an everyman, but, like, wasn't afraid to be vulnerable. I liked yeah. that. I, at this age, was very, very much like Doug, probably even wearing that sweater vest. <laughs> Uh, Halloween costume. costume. Did you wear a belt on your head like Quail Man did? Pretty much. Like, always, I was very imaginative and would, you know, escape through fantasy. Like, I I was a big reader and then a big writer. So, you would think I would really like Doug. And yet, watching him now, I just kind of found him very, like, wishy-washy. Like, it feels like he's too influenced by the people around him and kind of has no self of himself. Well, but isn't that part of the experience of what finding yourself is? Is like doing that reaching out and bouncing what you think you are against the outside world and seeing what results from that. I do think a lot of your reaction is that you're like watching it now from the present moment, not having been that exact age as the characters are at the moment when those when you encountered those shows. Yeah, I don't remember when I watched this show exactly. Like, it premiered in 1991. I feel like I probably caught it around when it came out. But at some level, I feel like I was a little bit beyond it already. Like, I, mm-hmm. it has very, very simple moral lessons that I definitely don't need now. But, like, I feel like even <laughs> at the time, like, it was like, don't cheat on a test. Don't lie to your friends. And I was like, I know that. I don't do those things. I'm fine. Like it, well, it's it just, just not for you then. <laughs> it just yeah. felt like, yeah, like I said, like kind of like basic or simple. Like it just didn't capture my imagination. I do sort of enjoy some of the pop culture references that are, again, also in the other shows that we're going to talk about. But it just jumped out, especially in Rugrats. And this show is just how much of pop culture was regurgitated back to us in a different form. You know, in Rugrats and Doug are both making fun of, like, big pop cultural things that we wouldn't have even seen at the time. But we experienced those things for the first time in this, like, filtered way. Mm -hmm. So it's just like, I don't know, like a copy of a copy. So... 
Are you talking about like either the Beats being like the Beatles? Yes, yes exactly. The beats, and then there's like an Indiana Jones parody oh, uh-huh. um, in one of the episodes. There's a Doug's band. There's a whole fantasy of his crazy music video, and he's like Michael Jackson, mm-hmm. and BB is and also Madonna, like David- blonde ambition tour Madonna. <laughs> right, and also there's a Talking Heads yeah. reference where he's wearing a giant suit. Bang it on the trash can. Bang it on the streetlight. See, I think that was, I mean, obviously that's incredibly 90s, like that postmodernism, the pastiche, and that carries through in basically all of the Nicktoons, and also I think in a lot of the live action shows to lesser extents. But I think at least in the case of Doug, it's tied in more to the characters and their nature. Yeah, another episode I think we all watched was Doug and Patty sitting in a tree. Mm-hmm. Um, that one I found genuinely charming and funny and moving. That's when way. they go on their first date, or is it a date? Yes. Yeah. And I found that one, that one just had like enough stakes and enough for me to relate to and was mature enough in a way that I even now, like, related to the way that he felt, like, not knowing if, you know, doing something that could be a friend thing or could be a date was a date, because I still go through that sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) I had a really good time tonight, Doug. Yeah, me too. You know, your grass is really springy. Yeah, they water it a lot. Yeah, water it a lot. So, Patty. So, Doug. <laughs> uh, listen, was tonight supposed to be a, a whatever? I don't know. Are you saying it was a, you know? No, I don't think it was necessarily a whatever, unless you think it was a, you know. <laughs> Me neither. I can't believe everybody thought it was. <laughs> <laughs> So that was it. After all that, it wasn't a date. It wasn't a date. Or maybe. That was the one episode that kind of elevated Doug for me that I was kind of hoping the whole show would do and mostly watched it and was kind of just felt like a little bit beyond the lessons it was teaching and kind of just like a little beyond it. That was the one show that kind of hit me and, like, made me appreciate Doug for, I think, what it is. And it is a genuinely, like, charming show, good character design. Everything about it is likable. Like, I don't 
dislike it at all. Yeah. I just was also a little bit bored watching a lot of the episodes. I have to say it feels a bit like a ripoff of Peanuts, and I know it was influenced by Peanuts, but just the whole dynamic between Doug and a, a dog. And Very Snoopy-like dog. Yeah, like a sort of like wider world. Like I, I like the world that's kind of built out here, but I just think Charlie Brown is a much more interesting character because he has that sort of depressed nature, whereas Doug is so upbeat that I was just like, felt like even though Peanuts was like several decades before, I felt like it was a little bit more complex and had a little bit more to chew on. And, and Doug just kind of... I don't know. It's likable and it kind of evaporates like after you watch it. So let's move on to Rugrats, which was the second Nicktoon that premiered in 1991. Rugrats was created by Arlene Klasky, Gabor Scupo, hope I'm saying that right, and Paul Germain. It has the voice cast of E.G. Daly, who played Tommy Pickles. She was also Dottie in Pee-wee's Big Adventure and the voice of Babe in Babe, Pig in the City. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. Chris really likes Babe, Pig in the City. I do. We all do. It's unanimous. Um, Christine Cavanaugh uh, voiced Chucky Finster, at least until 2002 when Nancy Cartwright of Bart Simpson fame took over. Christine Cavanaugh is also the voice of Babe. So we've got both Babes. Woohoo! <laughs> A lot of Babes in this show. <laughs> A lot of babes uh, playing babes. A very babe-heavy episode of When We Were Young. <laughs> <laughs> Christine Cavanaugh was amazing. A big voice actor in the 90s like Billy West as well. Kath Susie uh, was Phil and Lil. Cheryl Chase was Angelica. Jack Riley as Stu Pickles. Melanie Chartoff as Dee Dee Pickles. And Tress McNeil, who you might know from The Simpsons, um, she played... Angelica's mom, Charlotte Pickles. The series focuses on the experiences of an adventurous one-year-old baby named Tommy Pickles and his group of playmates. Um, The other characters depicted in Rugrats include the baby's parents, and they're often portrayed as being easily distracted, leaving their young children to get into various hijinks. Very easily distracted. (laughs) Like, some would say legally neglectful. (laughs) Uh, Abandonment is a word I would use. Mm Mm-hmm. Rugrats was formed by then-husband and wife duo Gabor Supo, I'm sorry again if I'm saying that right, <laughs> and Arlene Klasky, along with Paul Germain in 1989. Klasky Supo had a major animation firm at the time, which also provided services for commercials and music videos. Um, they were also animating The Simpsons, which they did until 1992. I'm sorry, who animated this? Supo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, I didn't catch it the first it's couple C-S-U-P-O times. It's C S U P O with a thing on it. <laughs> so, <laughs> you what, like a jelly it. stain? Like, what's on it? <laughs> like a, the fucking thing. The, Why didn't you tell us <laughs> what, what you think is, is on the O in that? The dash thing that goes up. <laughs> I don't know what it's called. <laughs> I'm sorry, accent aigu. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Or is it accent grave? <laughs> I literally don't know what it's called, except in French. Okay. <laughs> 
So their names appear in the show, obviously, in the opening titles. And yeah. I feel like somehow those weird names, sorry about it, uh, are as memorable yeah, as Yeah, they the are. Yes. Of course they are, yeah. I will forever have just the animated, not just the animated style of the credits, but that specific text. Mm-hmm. They were inspired by their infant children at the time, and they also wanted the babies to be depicted as strange instead of cute. <laughs> Mission accomplished. Yeah. <laughs> the show originally lasted from 1981 to 1994. It spanned three seasons and 65 episodes. Then they aired two Jewish holiday episodes, a Rugrats Passover and a Rugrats Hanukkah, which I probably watched at the time, but will will return to for my baby's uh, Jewish holidays coming up. New traditions. <laughs> because of the popularity of the show's reruns, they started producing new episodes in 1997 and also released five Rugrats movies. So altogether, the show aired 172 episodes what? and had a 13-year run with a two-year break. Crazy. I have no idea. Crazy. This is like this is like Grey's Anatomy <laughs> lengths. <laughs> oh, there's more. There's more to be shocked by. In 1996, Rugrats episodes had aired 655 times over the course of one calendar year and despite or perhaps because of the saturation it remained one of the cape one of cable television's most watched series that year 655 times in 365 days do you have the spin-offs yes in 2001 nickelodeon aired a special called all grown up which follows the characters 10 years later the special <laughs> was actually a pilot for a new series that ran from 2004 to 2008 <laughs> so that ran four years i want to show you been shocked the yet intro. again the intro was not what you would expect again in the vein of of Doug on Disney, like you would think that it would be somewhat reminiscent. Was this brand spanking new as well? Somehow, like, remixed the first re- Like, why did they go, like, with that? Uh, so it's supposed to be, how old are they? Ten years later, so they're only, like, ten, right? Eleven? Because that's very teenage, like, they, in the yeah. punk pop song. Yeah. I, I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I was aware of that. No, I wasn't either until no. researching this. Um, I mean, I it wish was 2004. I hadn't learned about that. We were in college, so of course <laughs> we were I didn't. all grown up. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I heard that song all the time. Oh <laughs> uh, God! Rugrats has received over 20 awards, including four daytime Emmys, and has a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. And a live-action CGI film has been greenlit and is expected to be released in 2021. No! I hope we don't last to 2021. I don't think we will, but now I hope we won't. Do you mean the podcast or humanity? <laughs> no, I mean humanity. Okay. No, we, yeah. But the podcast will still um, be on. I mean, the first, I didn't, I, don't, I haven't seen the first Rugrats movie, but people Me seem neither. to like it. I don't know. So what do you guys think of watching Rugrats? Chris, would you like to start? Well, the first episode is weird. <laughs> So I don't know if we're necessarily starting there, but I found the animation much more rudimentary than I was expecting because this was the first of these mean, shows. Do you that mean I in watched. the first episode or the whole series? Because I felt like the first episode was very rudimentary, especially and then, the first. Then episode. it got cleaned up. Yeah, like, a little bit. Kind of in all of these shows, I, I guess I just remember them being a little cleaner than mm-hmm. they look now. I know animation is hard, but 
Well, but also it's all hand. It's almost all hand done. Yeah, and there's a lot of like just like pencil-y yeah. marks that I just didn't remember. That I don't feel like very much animation looks like that now. Obviously, a lot of animation is CG, and so <laughs> there's or no done pencils with like involved. flash or something. You know, like yeah, yeah. So it just like felt much more hand drawn to me than I was expecting. Disney, obviously, the early Disney movies were hand drawn, but they don't. You don't notice pencil marks and stuff like that and this like they almost felt like a comic strip come I think, to life. yeah i think it's almost comic strip or like simpsons-esque in a way you know where like sometimes people's whole uh like some a character's entire hair is just a squiggle you know like for the baby characters mm-hmm. like it, it is very rudimentary i think that's right i definitely did not enjoy the pilot um okay. i watched it i was like it takes a long time for the kids to even talk. It's a weird pilot. It has mostly parents in it, which yeah. I thought was strange. Yeah, it's way more parent-heavy yeah. than the show is. Or even 50%. I thought that was weird for a show that's pretty much about babies. So then, you know, I watched more episodes, and I probably watched more episodes of Rugrats than any of these other shows, because they are varied. There's a lot of different characters, and they do a lot of different things. There's a lot of weird episodes that I'm sure we'll talk about. But the more I watched, the more I sort of appreciated the surrealism and the sort of, like, Dada approach to being a baby. Um, There's some interesting stuff with perspective of what I guess you would call the camera, even Mm -hmm. though it's animated you know like looking baby's point of view or fisheye kind of lenses i also like i just felt like it fell a little short of actually some of it's kind of clever i don't know the parent characters are kind of funny but also i don't know they just kind of fell a little bit short for me of being like truly i don't know relatable or saying something about sort of middle-class american parents you know maybe that's not the goal here i think the babies are a lot more distinct as characters yeah like for Didi, for example, is like a really interesting character as a design, like very memorable, like remembered her voice. And I was surprised at how like simple she was. She's very yeah. like flighty and just kind of like very mommy. Like she she's into like the doctor who tells her what to do and lip shits. Yeah. And same kind of with Stu is like he's like the doofy dad and like that's it and these characters didn't show as much sort of other sides to them as i was kind of expecting this show feels the most like the simpsons of all of these and i maybe unfairly was kind of expecting a little bit more simpsons like commentary on like parents and kids and all that and this show doesn't so much have it it feels like a little bit of a nod in that direction but definitely different audiences <laughs> yeah i think that i felt at the time about rugrats what you chris felt about watching doug now mm-hmm. um, i think that even at the time rugrats first came out and was new to me that it was a bit too facile a show that it was definitely for a much younger audience than i already was but again like kind of matching your experience now i appreciated how weird rugrats was for even for being a show about babies and their perspective I love the way that it plays with perspective in so many different episodes. I love the music in this, especially. The music in this show was done by Mark Mothersbaugh. Oh, yeah. Who was the 
founding force behind Devo and is a great like music producer and soundtrack maker for films, Wes Anderson's movies as well. But Devo's whole approach to music was Dada-esque. And I think that really does carry through to the show, which is agreed, very rudimentary in terms of the animation, but also very like expressive and colorful and art deco in a very weird kind of interesting way. I liken it in some ways to like a peewee type show where the perspective is almost very deliberately childlike, but there are a lot of really weird experimental things that it can do because of that framing that it wouldn't necessarily be able to do otherwise. I liked watching this show. (laughs) I might watch some more Rugrats. (laughs) I might go back and watch some more. And I maybe watched like seven. I really liked it. I totally get what you're saying, Chris, with your criticisms. And I totally see that. I think I was hoping the parents would be like a little bit more Mm -hmm. interesting. Yeah. Because they're designed interesting. I like mm-hmm. Angelica's mom. Yeah. And, yeah. And, I love um, them both. And I, I really do When love she the kept moms. being like, Jonathan. And I was like, oh, yeah, Jonathan is her assistant. Right. Like, I was just like, oh, yeah. I like flashed yeah. back to me. That was the one episode I think that really felt like fun for adults. Like, yeah. there's a lot of episodes of this that are not quite. Yeah. I just, I really liked the perspective and the point of view and the. It's just the, it felt very experimental in animation to like just see things from like, well, how would a baby see that? Like even in the opening credits, which I totally love, at some point, Tommy looks across the living room and the living room looks really far away, like where Phil and Lil are or something. Like it's just the way that they play with perspective, I think is really interesting. I really appreciate that the babies look weird. (laughs) Yeah. I just really, I really like that. I really like the design. I really like the voiceover work a lot. The voice work in this is amazing. Because at first I was like, I really like Chucky. Aw, you're no thug. (laughs) Huh? Maybe the blade went up there. how Christine Cavanaugh like just does the Chucky character. And then I was like, I actually really like Lil's voice, <laughs> um, which I can't, I will not even try to replicate it, but like just her, like how she gets squeaky. But then I was like, also Angelica. And I was like, <laughs> I like everybody. Like, I really like everyone's voice. The voices are so distinct, but I, uh, you said it like Chucky is my absolute favorite character in this. I think Chucky, all of his moments are always the ones that are funniest to me even now. Yeah, a good Chucky episode. Like, absolutely. His, his father is hilarious. I really like that there's lots of different types of parents, and I really appreciate that they're Jewish, honestly. <laughs> like, I think just, that, just throwing no, that in there. Like, I think that is worth pointing out. Yeah. Like, it is really interesting in a cartoon series. Yeah, you I, know? I, I like that. I just do because I'm Jewish and there's 
there's not a lot. There's Fightful in this. Um, um, but I like that Angelica has a mom that works a lot and is very important at her job. I like that Chucky's is a, has a single dad as a father. I just like just a variation there of types of parents and families. If this were made today, maybe there'd be like a, a gay couple. I don't know that has a kid. I liked the design of the characters like there was just a lot that i that i liked i don't know if i ever laughed out loud at anything but i definitely smiled a lot watching it i was entertained by watching these episodes so for me it was a positive <laughs> experience yeah it was really positive for me too i i espe- again i love chucky chucky's my favorite also i was amazed the degree to which uh just angelica came across as pure evil oh yeah i love angelica a lot. Like, I was thinking that you I would, love Chris, also like Angelica, because huh. she's a blonde bitch, and you love those. She is a blonde bitch. I found... I didn't get that into Angelica. I found her, like, a little too simplistic. I don't know, just... <laughs> Mm-mm. Yeah. She has fun moments. I wanted her to be a little bit more sophisticated, which is maybe a lot to ask of a two or three year old. Yeah, I don't know how old is she supposed to be in one in one episode. She's she says 16. She, in one episode, she says she's seven. Like she says she's 18, then 13, then seven. But I'm like, I don't think she's seven. No. I think she's like six, five or six. I was going to say four. Yeah. Four years oh. old. I was more like three, four. Yeah. Okay, but I... <laughs> Different I, perspective. I like the premise that the villain of the show is a pre- precocious-looking, angelic little girl. Oh, yeah. Like, I just like that idea. I, I, I love it. I loved Angelica's character, especially rewatching these now. All right, I admit it. I'm the one who broke the lamp, and I don't care. <laughs> well, why, Angelica? Why did you do such a bad thing? Why? I'll tell you Why? It all started in the hallway. I was looking for a crayon so I could draw on the wall and blame it on you, Tommy. (laughs) And I watched all the episodes that you forwarded along, Becky, but I also watched one of the episodes that I remembered the most, aside from Chucky versus the Potty, from season two called Chucky Loses His Glasses. Oh, yeah. And then the other segment of it is Chucky Gets Skunked, but the Chucky Loses His Glasses episode is one of the most memorable for me of the whole series. I'm going to have to watch that one. And I actually and, think I remember that, too. So here's the setup. Angelica has to babysit the babies while the parents are away during a rainstorm. So again, parental neglect <laughs> to the elements of nature. What? Chucky loses his glasses in the house, and he wanders off to search the house and find them. Angelica finds Chucky's glasses and convinces the rest of the babies that Chucky died. <laughs> <laughs> and that, like, the glasses are the only thing left over of Chucky. <laughs> wow. Like, she is pure evil. Was that... So, there was a list... Screen Crash, was it? Yeah. I th- of disturbing Rugrats episodes. Was that even on there? I don't, I even don't think so, think so. No. I think it was a glaring oversight that we have now God. corrected yeah. on when we were there young. There are a lot of, like, surprisingly dark things. They don't actually <laughs> come across as dark, but they're more like, if you actually think about them, you're like, huh. Like the episode where Angelica thinks she's getting a baby brother or sister, but then the mom is like, I had a pregnancy test. It's it, positive. It's positive. And then by the end of the episode, she's like, I went to the doctor and I'm not pregnant anymore. It's like, she had a miscarriage. <laughs> like, they didn't say that. Or, yeah. Yeah, there there are several options there, none of which are... Well, they were very excited for the baby, so I don't think it was... Mm-hmm. I think it yeah. was... Yeah. 
And yeah, I think the colorfulness and kind of art deco Dadaist sensibility to the animation can be kind of misdirecting in terms of how weird the episodes actually get and how kind of dramatic some of these situations are, even in a show that's about babies. I like in the episode What the Big People Do, Mm -hmm. Tommy and Chucky imagine themselves as adults Great. living an adult life what they I think is that. but their 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 bodies are the bodies of their dads but they still have the same heads <laughs> it looks very strange and i just like some little touches like the clouds in the sky are actually like pillowcases mm-hmm. like just things like that like animation wise like it's very inventive and again like it's the theme we keep going back to about nickelodeon is that they like a lot of the things were rudimentary a lot of the animation was very deliberately and obviously handmade but they were were trying and experimenting with different visual styles that nothing out of Disney certainly would ever have attempted. Mm -hmm. But really, it seems like no one else was kind of doing that kind of really daring animation style. Yeah, I mean, we'll get to Ren and Stimpy, because I think there's a (laughs) spectrum here. But yeah, uh, Rugrats was definitely doing things that were not safe. They didn't feel necessarily like they were being policed by a big brother CEO kind of thing, as probably most Disney stuff does. I enjoyed like episodes like Chucky versus the Potty because it got at a real childhood anxiety <laughs> and did it in a really weird way by like likening the Potty to the electric chair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I, I I did appreciate that's a great metaphor for how a child would actually feel about going to the Potty. It's like a big almost like life ending. It ends your infancy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a rite of passage. Another episode I watched kind of carefully because I just remembered the title of it was Reptar and Ice. <laughs> yes. Reptar, Reptar, gotta get, get that the Reptar. Dinosaur, dinosaur, ancient enemy of man. You obey when your destructive tendencies you obey. I was a little like this episode disappointed me because I thought there was so much opportunity for like great parody songs like again like the Simpsons not even that I'm that big of a fan of the Simpsons (laughs) but like Simpsons would have like little musical moments where the songs would be really memorable and these were pretty terrible and I think they were supposed to be terrible it was very I loved the Andrew Lloyd Webberness of Reptar on Ice I I just I really I did laugh out loud when the kids go on the ice and they interrupt the show and then Reptar is like left alone with the kids on the ice (laughs) and he's trying to keep singing and he said I, uh, hey, look, it's some kids on the ice. What's a dinosaur to do when there's kids on the ice? Quick, somebody call their mom. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I remembered that very well, and I just, just really liked that moment and that, like, voice acting in that moment, and I thought that was super funny. I enjoyed that episode. (laughs) Yeah, like Doug, there's a lot of pop culture stuff. Reptar is one of the big things, but there's the dummy bears. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't even know what those are supposed to be. Dummy bears. I, well, yeah, but like there's a, there's the whole movie franchise. Oh yeah, because <laughs> uh, I watched a couple more episodes than were 
<laughs> I got a little lazy with the, these, and I like if one of the episodes we were supposed to watch was the second one, I would just watch the mm-hmm. first one or vice that's versa. That's not lazy. That's extra work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I watched extra episodes. I also watched the Slumber Party one. Okay, which I didn't see that one. Only because as soon as I looked at that weird that list of weird episodes. It's the one where I very distinctly remember Dee Dee as a crescent moon. Okay. <gasps> yeah. I think I do remember that. And then they sing a lullaby. I think I'm afraid. <laughs> yeah. No, there, there's weirdness throughout. Yeah. I don't know. This is like, <laughs> on one, on the one hand, it's very simple. And on the other hand, it's kind of like doing LSD. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is a very personal note, but I feel like a lot of my life being a mom was seen as something negative because I'm looking at Doug's mom and I'm looking at Dee Dee Pickles and they just look so fucking lame and they look like so much older than they probably are. Like how old is Dee Dee Pickles, do you probably think? like 24. I know. And she looks like she's like 45. Mm-hmm. And Doug's mom, if you recall, like she looks like an old lady. You don't know what I look like right now, listeners, but I just got my mohawk refreshed. <laughs> she's not like other moms. She's a cool I'm mom. I'm a cool mom. But I think like a lot of my life is you just see what motherhood is depicted as. And part of it is being like super lame and old looking. But fatherhood as well. I mean, the dads are equally lame. I guess, but I'm focusing oh, if on the moms. Even more so. Mm. No, I think Tommy Pickle's mom is like cool. That's mm. her image to like. She doesn't look cool to me. Cool. She doesn't look cool. She, mm, I don't know. Square. She looks wacky. Really? This is Doug's mom. Look how lame she looks. She looks like a grandma. She does look extremely grandma. Yeah, she does. That's that's fair, especially with Rugrats. I I wish that the parent characters had been more a bit more fleshed out i think angelica's mom even though that identity of like professional businesswoman is a bit thinner it's at least a stronger premise so it you know sticks more it comes across more phil and lil's mom also is like That's pretty true hilarious yeah. oh yeah it, tommy's parents are just a little lame i can't go through this without mentioning the last episode i watched regarding stewie uh-huh. jesus <laughs> <laughs> that was disturbing. That's when Stewie, who is um, Tommy's dad, falls off the roof, bumps his head, and he thinks he's a baby. But then all of a mm. sudden, he can understand the children. I remember this episode, but I specifically avoided rewatching it. <laughs> but you know what it... Okay, like, what it really is, is about... Ta- is a about, fetish. No, it's about you as um, a child wishing that your parents were like more of your best friend but then you realize actually I need them to be my parent and I and I that's what the moral of the story is and when it got to the point where like a something breaks like they're really enjoying him being a baby and then something breaks and they're like don't worry my dad will fix it and then he's like wait no I need my dad like I miss my dad and I was like oh I like this episode it was weird during it though uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean he also I mean there's a dire medical emergency, but like, <laughs> let's ignore that. But then, like, his wife doesn't even notice that he's brain dead. <laughs> like, she's just talking to him like normal, and yeah. she does not get she it. She needed to go home to get the checkbook to buy some vase or something. Mm. I don't know. <laughs> I was just, I was very disturbed by the fact that like the dad could have very very serious brain damage, <laughs> and no one like cares or notices. It's a concussion situation. I just like when they're in the shower and they're just playing with the shower because the babies can't reach it, but Stewie can't. And Chucky's just like, 
Tommy, why are we doing this? And Tommy's like, because it's fun. <laughs> like, he has to explain, this is fun. <laughs> I feel like Lipschitz has been replaced by Facebook mommy groups. <laughs> oh, I think because that's very true. Every, like, episode, she's like, Lipschitz says to do this with the baby. Lipschitz says. <laughs> did you guys watch the episode where Lipschitz was actually in it? And, I did And, like, gave them a piggyback and he, ride? And he came over for dinner? That was creepy as well. But. It was very strange. <laughs> she just, like, started taking a bath in their bathtub while watching the kid. It was I weird. can confirm he did bathe during yeah, the episode. Yeah, it was weird. Oh my goodness, oh my goodness, what to do, what to do? Overall, I felt like if you fused the emotion of Doug with the creativity of Rugrats, I would really appreciate that show. But neither one kind of had what the other one had. Yeah, I'll talk a little bit later about like shows that are similar to some of these shows in terms of animation style and in terms of having the heart and having the comedy. But yeah, I just don't think at the time that that kind of show would have been on a network like Nickelodeon necessarily. So let's move on to Ren and Stimpy. Ren and Stimpy was created by John Crifalusi, Jim Smith, Bob Camp, and Lynn Naylor. It has the voice cast of John Crifalusi, also known as John Kay. He voiced Ren for two years. And then Billy West voices Stimpy. And he, when John Crifalusi left, which we'll get to what happened there, he also voiced Ren. So he was just talking to himself. <laughs> the show lasted five seasons and 52 episodes. The plot of Ren and Stimpy. (laughs) (laughs) The show is about a cat and a dog that live together and get in all kinds of disturbing, absurdist situations. That's all I could get. I didn't even know they lived together. So cool. (laughs) Sometimes they do. And sometimes who knows? John Kay created the characters Ren and Stimpy in 1978 for personal amusement while attending college. He was inspired to create Ren the Chihuahua by seeing a postcard called New York City 1946 that showed a sweater chihuahua at a woman's feet. I don't know what the... I wish I could see that postcard. (laughs) Stimpy's design was inspired by a Tweety Bird cartoon called A Gruesome Twosome where the cats in the cartoon had big noses. Because cats don't really have big noses. So that's why he doesn't really look like a cat. And he doesn't really look like a chihuahua. No. So they just kind of look like things. <laughs> John Kay presented three shows to Nickelodeon, among them a variety show with a live action host presenting different cartoons. Each cartoon would parody a different genre. 
Ren and Stimpy were created to parody the cat and dog genre. The network didn't care for anything that John Kay presented except Ren and Stimpy. And he sing- they singled them out for their own series. John Kay was not delivering episodes on time during the run of the show, and Nickelodeon was not happy. They also didn't like how disturbing the show was getting, particularly the episode Man's Best Friend featuring a human character named George Licker that ended up being shelved for being too violent. The network didn't want the show to be frightening and dramatic and scary, and the relationship between John Kay and the network deteriorated to the point where John Kay would communicate with Nickelodeon only through his lawyer, and they fired him in 1992. Uh, They said he could stay on as a consultant but he refused to sell out quote unquote <laughs> Bob Camp replaced uh, Criff Lucy as director and Billy West refused John Kay's request to leave along with him and he stayed on the show and voiced Ren <laughs> <laughs> the show's animation style kind of draws upon golden age cartoons particularly those of an animator named Bob Clampett from the 1940s in the way that the characters are emotion the characters emotions distorts their appearances there's also unique expressions intense expressions very strong character poses and detailed gruesome close-ups of the characters so it received widespread critical acclaim matt graining the creator of the simpsons called it the only good cartoon on tv other than the simpsons This, I thought, was unbelievable. The show got really high ratings for Nickelodeon. The show for a time was the most popular cable TV show on TV, with several airings being the most watched scripted cable TV show in 1993 in the U.S. Holy shit. Yeah. No idea. I want to ask your thoughts about Ren and Stimpy, but I kind of want to go first. Go for it. I'll allow it. I hope to never watch Ren and Stimpy again for the remainder of my days on Earth. Whoa. I did not watch this growing up. I've never watched a frame of this. Oh, really? Never. I may have seen, like, shots of it, and I, as we've discussed in other episodes, I didn't like gross things. (laughs) This was very clearly, from the very few images I saw, pretty gross. (laughs) Um, And I knew to stay away. So... I'd like to pat myself on the back for <laughs> knowing myself. Listeners, well. you don't see this, but Becky is patting herself on the back. I am. I know myself very well, and apparently I haven't changed much because <laughs> wow, was this I was not looking forward to watching these episodes at all, and man, was I right? <laughs> it was I have a lot of more like okay, this show is so unpleasant. Okay, there's um there is a subreddit on Reddit that I um subscribe to called Hmm. Awful taste, but good execution. (laughs) And that's what this show is. I respect its insanity and its animation style. It is not for me. (laughs) And it is real unpleasant to look at. I predicted exactly that. (laughs) Before we go further, Seth, what did you predict of my reaction? I was just thinking about you the whole time. Much the same <laughs> listeners i am patting becky on the back we are mutually patting each other well we know all the backs that are getting patted tonight i would like to read the first two notes on the first episode of ren and Stimpy that i watched which was called stimpy's invention this is ugly <laughs> this is stupid <laughs> All the notes you have. That's, that's pretty much it. it. Like <laughs> Becky, I, I did actually see some of this show at some point, but like Becky, I knew it was not for me and stopped watching it very quickly. <laughs> it was a cultural phenomenon. Like for sure. People quoted it in a way that I did not like. <laughs> 
all of these shows actually premiered much earlier than I would have expected. Same. Oh my god, the yeah. same fucking night as Rugrats and Doug. Yeah, yeah. It came on after Rugrats. And, like, Simpsons had only been on for, like, a couple of years at this point, and so was probably becoming, like, the phenomenon that it was about the time that this premiered. I remember Simpsons being, like, the rude show that polite children didn't watch. (laughs) Don't have a cow, man! Oh, my goodness! And, And Chris, you were a good boy, right? Yes, and then Ren and Snoopy was kind of the same thing, except for it was actually geared at kids. So, like, I don't know, it felt like Pleasure Island or something. Like, kids were, like, (laughs) running amok, like... Turning into donkeys. I don't even remember. Which one's a cat? (laughs) Stimpy? My husband, I mean, my husband was like, they're both dogs. And I'm like, he's a cat. And he's like, no, he's not. And in the first episode, it's like, I'm a cat. I'm a cat. He was like, you have to explain what you are because it doesn't look anything like a cat. Their animal nature is not distinct. He doesn't have a tail. (laughs) He doesn't have whiskers. Right. Or a cat nose at all. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. That's all true. So my overall (laughs) reaction to this was like, it's Revulsion. Yeah. It it was like watching the character Roger Rabbit. (laughs) Don't you dare. It was like watching Mm -hmm. the Gremlins. But it was only for 12 minutes, which I feel is like the right amount of time to watch something (laughs) this banal and stupid, which... I don't want to spend 12 minutes doing that, but, like, at least it was 12 minutes and not an hour and a half. (laughs) That was, like, the saving grace was, like, this seems like the proper format for this level of stupidity. Also, I think it's, I, I, that brings up a point that I didn't recognize until just now, which is, like, Adult Swim kind of picked up on that formatting Mm -hmm. in terms of having things not have to be a half hour long continuous story. And I agree with you. Like, I do think it kind of benefits all of them, like, whether you connect with them or not, to have them only be, like, 12-minute, 15-minute stories at most. Yeah. Because this stuff is, like, (laughs) sketches versus, like, an episode of The Simpsons is, like, a story. Or Mm -hmm. Doug or something is, you know, a story for 12 minutes. But these are, like, sketches. Like, it feels like these should even be even shorter. (laughs) So what was Seth? Mm, Yeah, so so I loved this show. (laughs) As a kid. Why did you love... I mean, I guess I can guess. This show, again, like, Becky and Chris, the things that... The disgust that you have about disgusting things, uh, for me, is delight. Um, (laughs) I delight in gross-out humor, in very dumb puns in humor that is about the stupidity of characters. I definitely would have seen Ren and Stimpy way before I saw Monty Python, but I think it kind of hit the same pleasure buttons that Monty Python did. There was just kind of abject absurdity, crazy physical gags like all over the place, gross-out humor, some pop cultural references, but some things that were like, not actually pop culture references, but kind of just invoked as, as like, quotations that would run throughout the show as repeated jokes. I don't know if it defined my taste in comedy or just reflected what I liked about comedy and about silly things, but I absolutely loved Ren and Stimpy. I watched all of the episodes that aired. I know that they never had a movie, but it got rebooted later on. And I didn't ever watch that. I definitely moved on to, like, Monty Python and, you know, kind of other types of comedy uh, later on. But I really loved Ren and Stimpy and really enjoyed kind of revisiting the episodes of this show. I love the stylistic insanity of the animation on this. 
I love the character design. There are a lot of kind of jokes and catchphrases that recur throughout the show, almost like a sketch comedy show, but it always like hung with the same characters. I really, I loved Ren and Stimpy at the time, and I enjoyed revisiting it now. What I felt like while watching these episodes was I felt like I was watching someone's niche avant-garde YouTube series. Hmm. And in that respect, it feels ahead of its time. It feels exactly like something that would be on the internet that would have no network executives or any sort of filter between making it and presenting it. It almost feels like something that is part of like Elsa Gate, where like it's supposed to be for kids, but then like somebody dies in the middle and or like or their eye pokes out or something happens with their butts. Like, like, and and it's so like, and then your children start crying, like to like to like freak out your children. Like, that's what it feels like. And and I just, I cannot believe this was on Nickelodeon. I cannot believe this was after Rugrats. But this I, also reminds me of, like, Looney Tunes in the sense of that kind of physical over-the-top... But it feels like that with not trying to say anything or almost be entertaining. It's it's like it's trying to just be how gross and weird and, like, how gross and weird can we get? It doesn't even matter what they're doing. It's just, like, how disgusting can I make this image of Ren. <laughs> hey, what's a monkey got to do to get some grooming around here? Go ahead, Ren. Eat the nice vermin. Oh. <laughs> I don't want to. It feels like anti-entertainment to me, like in the way that like Dada was like talks about as like anti-art. It's so unentertaining that like some people find it entertaining because it's so dumb and has so little there, and it's just like dumb reaction shot, dumb quote. So you say dumb, and I say like gross, like yeah, disgusting. Both of those things. <laughs> like Becky, I find that this show more than the other two, unfortunately, is like hugely influential. Like mm-hmm. it. Feels like it paved the way for South Park, Family Guy, SpongeBob, especially Adult Swim. None of those things are things that I like. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, I, I think that, yeah, like this is like a lot of people like this kind of humor. I don't get it. I watch it, I'm not amused. It's just like, why? Like, why? Why? Yeah, I'm just so. I'm so turned off by it. Like, it's not even like, oh, I'm bored watching it and I don't like it. I'm, like, so viscerally turned off. Even though, like, you know, as somebody who, like, cartoons now and again or is, like, trying to get into that, I do appreciate how distinct the style is and how distinct John Cade's, like, animation is. He actually did two couch gags for The Simpsons. 
And they're very gross looking versions of The <laughs> Simpsons, but there's something really impressive about it. How, how, what is, what his style is, you know, like、mm-hmm. I think that is really impressive. It's not that this show like doesn't hold up. I think it's exactly as it was.、Mm-hmm. It was just 1000% not for me.、Mm-hmm. How much did you watch? <laughs> to, like for this? Like, yeah. Um, too much. <laughs> I mean, too much, like maybe like five. Five episodes. Oh, wow. I watched one episode of s i m b i s Invention, and then I put on Monkey See, Monkey Don't. At one minute and 20 seconds, I was checking the time to see how much had gone by. <laughs> yeah. Five minutes in, I turned it off because I just, I, that was it. I couldn't watch anymore. Oh, yeah. I was, I was waiting in a waiting room at the doctor's, watching this on my phone. And for some reason, the pop up ads on digital motion or whatever, <laughs> like they would pop up, but then I couldn't get the program back. But I was like, I watched three minutes. I'm not the next one. Like, I don't、oh、need to、God. see how this ends. It doesn't end. <laughs> you know, like, there's no, there's no story. Yeah, I, I definitely felt like I wasn't going to miss anything. <laughs> yeah, by like, I got turning it. it off early. <laughs> I lost internet for the past day and a half. <laughs> If only I had. <laughs> I ended up watching like eight or nine episodes of this. God. Like full episodes? Yeah, because again, well, you like, like it. So it's- I, I like it, but also, again, kind of the mercy of it is that it's like a sketch comedy show where if you get tired of a particular story being told, it's going to move on to something else very soon. Not soon enough. So the first episode I watched had. The log mini commercial, which was pretty random. Yes, log. All kids love log. What rolls backstairs, the motor and pairs, rolls over your neighbor's dog. Let's wait for a snack, it fits on your back. It's log, log, log. It's log, log. It's big, it's heavy, it's wood. It's log, log. It's better than that, it's good. Everyone wants a log. <laughs> I was like, oh, does this show have like just little、yes. non sequitur? Like, because I had never seen the show. And I was like, oh, that log thing was funny. I was like, maybe, maybe I'll like this. No. <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> like, did you see the log thing? No. It's a cute little I really? it now, though. Oh, because there are like, there are really iconic things from the show that I will remember forever. Like, log and don't whiz on the electric fence. Yeah,、uh, that segment. Powdered toast man. Seth, that segment disturbed me. <laughs> disturbed me. And I think a lot of it has. It, it felt like something really not amateurishly made, but something somebody spent the night making in their dark basement、oh, yeah. and, and Again, they want to freak people out and it works. <laughs> like it, it made me very unhappy. I would never show this to my child. She'd get nightmares. It's not for children. <laughs> yeah, I but think it was on Nickelodeon. A, yeah, but I think that's another point that's worth making about this is that. You know, kind of stemming, Chris, from what we've been talking about in terms of like Nickelodeon having a wide range of content and a wide range of shows appealing to many different audiences. I definitely think Ren and Stimpy was one of the first Nicktoons, especially that was aiming at a different audience and was aiming at people who were not like chilled, literal children, but like teenagers and people who were even older who were watching Nickelodeon later in the day or late at night. And hi. 
and extremely stoned. I mean, maybe I don't know what time it went on. I'm kind of assuming 9 p.m. But like, oh god, like you need to be high to watch this. Like, <laughs> either new episodes or reruns are on. I think Adult Swim, and that's like perfect. That's right. Like that's yeah. perfect. Like, and I think it. I think really Ren and Stimpy like did inspire a lot of especially the Adult Swim kind of style where you could easily believe that someone made this in their basement a week ago. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I also really love the music in this. It's got like a really kind of almost swing band like um, oh I hated the music oh, well, really? a lot of it is like using classical music especially the Simpy's Invention which like use like very very famous pieces I think it was it does. some Nutcracker stuff it's throughout and that's throughout the show and like, I hated it I just oh, really? hated the use of it because like it just I, I was like how dare you drag <laughs> this great music down to your depths <laughs> yeah I'm with you. The pacing was so slow and strange, and that's why it felt like, did a crazy person make this? Like, oh Yeah, my there's God. a lot of awkward pauses in it, yeah. which I think is part of the aesthetic, but, like, yes. if you're not enjoying Absolutely. it, makes it just longer so and weirder. What's this stupid thing? That's a game, Ren. Yeah, it's really fun. Oh, you like this game? Oh, yeah, Ren. We love it. Oh, you like the game, huh? Do you really like it? It's our favorite favorite game in the the whole world. Oh, you like the game, huh? Well, how do you like these? So, you whizzed on the electric fence, didn't you? The electric fence. Never want to watch this again. Never. I know. I I had not thought a single second about Ren and Stimpy since it was on, and I'm glad I didn't. And I'm (laughs) a little sorry that I did for this podcast, but them's the breaks. Sorry, I don't think you're like wrong in liking it. I think it's like I think it's excellently made absurdist craziness. That's not for me. Yeah. yeah. No, again, like literally it, there's nothing for me to disagree with here. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't know if any of you were looking forward to like more combat <laughs> based around these shows and our interpretations of them. Like with kind of gross out humor like it's just a matter of your taste and it just so happens that like again Ren and Stimpy like Doug hit me at the exact right moment when I was in the time in my life when I was really starting to understand and develop my own taste in humor and like what I found funny again like I, I, I can't begrudge anyone else a different interpretation of that and Definitely, Ren and Stimpy's not something I really, like, revisit now. So I think a lot of my joy was just mostly because I hadn't watched it since I was literally a wee little kid. And, again, kind of wasn't conscious of how much of it I remembered. This felt like torture porn. (laughs) 
if something is gross out like Dumb and Dumber, like a lot of the Fairly Brothers, there's things like that that are like gross out. This is like more invasive that it feels like torture porn. I think it's because they do a lot of stuff with their butts and and their gums and their eyeballs and and it and the and the cartoon freezes on it with his eyeball coming out of his socket or him like them pressing their butts together. Like it just makes me like feel like I'm watching something I shouldn't be watching. I don't like their butts. <laughs> wow. But you know what? Do you know what I'm feeling? Yes. Like, well, they're like animals, and then all of a sudden, like, these very like humanoid butts will yes, appear. Yes. Like during the Happy Happy Joy Joy yes. song. I it don't. Just, it feels like wrong. Yes. <laughs> it doesn't feel gross. Like oh, a poop joke. It's wrong. It feels like you're watching Tom and Jerry, and then suddenly they just start like masturbating in front of you, <laughs> and you're like, wait, this was a Tom and Jerry cartoon. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> I, I think, Chris, that your comparison is very apt. <laughs> it is like a Tom and Jerry that becomes masturbatory. And I think that's part of what I admired about it. <laughs> <laughs> to each their own. There's just no story at all. And it, it, there's just nothing for me to latch on to in Ren and Stimpy. Like, I was struggling with that a bit in Doug and Rugrats. But like with Ren and Stimpy, I was like, wow, there is nothing for me here. Yeah. Well, John Krifalewski <laughs> has been canceled. <laughs> what happened with him? I didn't do any research into the man. Oh, he was accused of sexually exploiting teenage girls, oh, promising no. them careers in animation at a studio, Spumco, while allegedly uh, while allegedly grooming them for sexual relationships. Oh no! One of the women says it all began in 1994 when she was only 13. Jesus. Didn't know this. And Corfalusi was 39 at the time. So I remember when this news came out uh, last year. Oh, wow. Really? And it it gave me pause. <laughs> <laughs> well, how do you feel now watching Ren and Stimpy? The one thing I will say is that in retrospect and revisiting these episodes now, much like both of you have said about these other shows, the women are very one-dimensional characters. I think in Ren and Stimpy, women characters who... There are women characters. <laughs> exactly. They're, they're few and far between. They appear for just seconds at a time. The speaking roles are just these very ditzy, blonde women, and they're done in almost a Looney Tunes, like, old Warner Brothers animation style, but with, like, big boobs and kind of like Tex Avery? Exactly. Tex Avery, very much so. Um, so really, they're just dis- they're for displaying. So they're not yes. female characters. They <laughs> so are... they're not really female characters. Yeah. They're caricatures. But there's less of the humor than I expected to be really problematic in retrospect. Mm-hmm. But- As somebody who appreciates an artist with a distinct style, that sucks. Yeah, it really sucks. Because again, like, especially for me, it was kind of a... It didn't define my taste in comedy, but it was like a pivot point, much like Monty Python was later. So following um, the success of these three shows on Nickelodeon, they started getting more um, um, creatives to create original programming. There was um, Rocco's Modern Life came next, which I never watched. I watched the hell out of that show. That was a series that I kind of wanted to pitch uh, like for, for watching in this, but mm. I, again, had kind of no idea when it actually debuted. Um, so I didn't know at all that it was so long after it was two these years original after. shows. Yeah. It was like two or three years, yeah. yeah. Um, and then Ah Real Monsters 
and uh, Hey Arnold. Um, I think that was like pretty much when the we were wave. when we were young. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's when we were slightly less young. <laughs> yeah, but I I think a <laughs> Another lot spinoff like SpongeBob is a huge hit for Nickelodeon. But I think that began when we kind of already moved on from Nickelodeon. Oh yeah, that must have been. That feels like it was like during my high school years. Yeah. So I looked at Nickelodeon's current programming. And I didn't really, I didn't recognize anything. I mean, I'm, I'm an adult. I'm, I'm maybe I'm not supposed wow. to. Way to brag, Becky. Yeah, but I, I, I guess I was a little sad that that nothing that Nickelodeon has come out with in the last few decades, except maybe SpongeBob, which personally I've never seen, has gone mainstream. It's a lot like Ren and Stimpy. Really. Um, but nothing has really gone mainstream so that people actually know what it is. But I feel like people know what Rugrats are and Ren and Stimpy and even maybe even Doug. Like they know what it is, which I think just shows how memorable those three shows are for better or worse. I don't know if that's true. I feel like Ren and Stimpy uh, unfortunately became the breakout stars of this. People probably kind of know what Rugrats is. I think, but I really, I think they do. I think it's just us. <laughs> Who know what these things are really? I don't know. Oh, that's not true at all. Yeah, th- they're Again, making Chris, like, movie. Chris, I think you're kind of universalizing your own experience of them to, to some extent, especially in terms of the kinds of nostalgia traps that we talk about so often on When We Were Young. Like, I definitely think there's a lot of reserve goodwill and memory of these shows from us, <laughs> like from our generation. But yeah. I think to our parents, it was like, turn on Nickelodeon. I don't know what you're watching. There's some babies. There's Patty Man. Again, I think that's specific to your own experience. Because, like, you keep going back to, like, babysitters or parents turning on Nickelodeon and leaving. But mine was like, I was the one turning on the Nickelodeon. But when was was the last time you heard someone talk about Rugrats or Doug. Doug gets thrown about, I think, a lot more than Rugrats does. And I would I'm not say the opposite. Sure oh, really? This mm. is this is all subjective, guys. We have yeah, no yeah. idea. Nope. We're going for objectivity here. <laughs> well, there's going to be a new Rugrats movie in like two years, and I think I feel like people know what Ren and Stimpy is, even if they've never seen it. Right. I feel That's like true. that broke out as like a kind of Beavis and Butthead thing, where yeah. like, even yeah. if you didn't watch it, it was like, oh, I know who those obnoxious characters are. <laughs> Vague animals. Would you recommend anything? <laughs> I might recommend Rugrats, maybe. Yeah. I'd say maybe Rugrats. Like, that's kind of it, though. You wouldn't recommend Ren and Stimpy? Not necessarily. Picking back up on what I was talking about earlier, there are modern shows like Adventure Time and especially like Bob's Burgers that incorporate the silly, absurd, gross-out humor with real sentiment and really well-developed characters and kind of interesting, handmade-seeming, but, you know, kind of more rudimentary animation and kind of incorporate those things in a lot more kind of holistic way. Like, I, I, I think there are shows that kind of provide that absurd, silly humor, but have real characterization and also aren't made by people who were grooming children. Mm, yeah. Rewatching these shows made me question the very premise of this podcast. (laughs) And your life. And your decisions. I just, like, couldn't stop thinking, 
why am I watching this? I was like, are you quitting the podcast? Is is this your resignation? (laughs) I mean, if we're going to keep doing Nickelodeon shows, maybe because I wouldn't watch these things if they were on now. The only reason I was watching them is because I saw them when I was a kid and I were revisiting them. Yes. That's the point of our podcast. But I was just like, what is the value of going back to something that had I think we're trying to so find little. if there is value. And I found none here. Well, well then we didn't find value. Yeah. But that, that but was with the ev- With pretty much everything else, even things that I hated, I felt like they had some kind of impact. And with these, I mean, it is subjective, and, and Seth disagrees with me here, but I just feel like it was a vacuum. And it was like, these were on, we watched them, we liked them because we were a certain age. See, again, I also go back to, though, wondering if... Like Viacom had spent 10 million, 50 million, however much Disney spends every year reminding you of every single title that Disney has ever released that was successful. Took over, Doug. We talked about very, very old Disney movies, things from the 40s, but I think those things had universal messages and things that carried over time. And none of these shows to me really did that. They felt not super dated, but they didn't capture my imagination. I felt like the writing was passive like decent the character design was like good but like i would enjoy these things a lot more maybe like in a children's book when i could like enjoy the character design but have a little bit more imagination isn't this also like a very apples oranges comparison because like disney especially what we've talked about are almost all feature films they're not really TV series. We haven't really talked about Disney TV series, especially. There's different work that you need to do in an animated feature film to get it across to people successfully, to make it a hit, to make it last with people and stay with people a long time. And I think you can get away with different things in a TV show and still have it be successful. Simpsons doesn't usually tell season-long story arcs or even story arcs that last beyond an episode. So again, like even though the the style of it is unique in its own different ways, the narrative of a TV show is unique in its own ways. And I do think there is something about the Nickelodeon approach to building that network that was about, like, throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks. Yeah, I just, I think you're right. Like, the fact that it's TV is different, but, like, to me that just makes this feel very disposable. Or maybe it's because it's for kids and it's meant to sort of, in a way, be a babysitter. So adults can go off and do things in the next room. I don't know. I just found much less here to hold on to. Like, it didn't carry over into adulthood. I remember so much of this. The music, the character design, the character names. And I would honestly, like, if I could, just, like, push a button and be like, delete. Like, I could delete all of this from my memory and have it instead to remember where I put my wallet last (laughs) night because that's more valuable Well, then that means that... That's fine. That's yeah. you know, but I'm I'm positive there is children's programming we haven't covered yet that is great. Mm-hmm. You know, and and memorable. And I'm not even talking about like the Simpsons, but I'm sure there is something like made for children that we could enjoy as adults. Sure. That I'm that yeah. I will get to next week or I don't even know sometime. <laughs> I don't I mean, definitely not next week. <laughs> it's an all Mr. Wizard episode <laughs> next time. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally agree with you that I think that there is some children's TV programming that would do that. And I think maybe this might be the first episode where our age differences are really coming out because mm-hmm. Seth was just a year younger, but maybe that was like the crucial moment for him to like where he's like he was so much more into these and we were just like a little bit older and 
I think we just didn't like gross out stuff. Yeah, well, that, that too. too. Yeah, no, I, I think both of those things are true. Like, I do think it does say something about our very slight age difference, but definitely also a lot about our different tastes in comedy. Yeah, like, when these came out in 1991, I feel like I was barely at the age when I could enjoy them, and as it went on, I was just like, it grew out more and more, and by, like, 1994 or something, I was just like done like i was like this is not for me anymore like none of this cartoon stuff like i was ready to graduate on to i don't know the brady bunch movie or something <laughs> something really mature like that and that's all the happy happy joy joy we have time for on our next episode my god we've just received a bomb threat in the studio it says that if the next episode of our podcast comes in at under 50 minutes the studio will explode wait so we have to go uh, we have to be over 50 minutes because yes. it's not really going to be a problem yeah <laughs> i feel like that's been an unspoken rule this whole time but it's good to have it written out like that <laughs> yes we will be talking about speed the 1994 action thriller starring keanu reeves jeff daniels dennis hopper and w- and mr bus <laughs> And the bus. <laughs> Mr. Bus. Which was also a big breakout for one of America's 90s sweethearts, Sandra Bullock. Why does it have to be male? It doesn't have to be. It is. Why does it got to be a boy bus? <laughs> Why do you have to be a male? How do you determine the gender of buses? Gotta lift the... <laughs> he is under there for quite a while. You lift the flap. You see a big dick. <laughs> How did it come to bus sticks? The When We Were Young podcast is a production of the MFP Studio Studio in Los Angeles, California. You can follow us on all the social media. You can subscribe to us on iTunes and review us with five stars or more. I have been Seth Pearson. I'm Chris. <laughs> and I'm Mr. Bus. <laughs> you babies are so dumb. <laughs> That's true. Happy, happy, joy, joy, happy, happy, joy, joy. Happy, happy, joy, joy, happy, happy, joy, joy. Happy, happy, joy, joy, happy, happy, joy, joy. Happy, happy, joy, joy, joy. I don't think you're happy enough. That's right. I'll teach you to be happy. I'll teach your grandmother to suck eggs. Now, boys and girls, let's try it again. Happy, happy, joy, joy. 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 Happy, happy, joy, joy, joy. If you ain't the granddaddy of all liars.